0: Welcome, everybody, to Airplane Mode, a GQ podcast. I'm your host, Clay Skipper. I'm so excited to be back with you guys for another season. I hope you are excited to be back for another season. We're going to bring you 10 episodes, and they're going to all be about confidence. Today's guest is a man of supreme confidence. His name is Jalen Rose. Jalen was a member of the storied Fab Five Michigan basketball team, the coolest starting five to play the game. He then went on to a very successful NBA career and wore what to this day is still one of the boldest draft suits of all time. That certainly took a high level of confidence. And now he is a media personality. He's all over ESPN. He's a co-host of the Jalen and Jacoby TV show and podcast with Dave Jacoby. And he's the perfect first guest for this season because he is just cool and confident in everything he does. So we dive into where that confidence originally came from. He says he had irrational confidence, which I love. He also talks about how confidence is really sort of a form of radical self-acceptance because once you know your own flaws, nobody can say anything that can shake you. And that led to him becoming a very good trash talker. And you could see that confidence when Jalen played in the NBA. He didn't back down from anybody. And you still see that confidence now, even on TV or on radio or on podcasts. He's just always collected, always feels like nothing's going to shake him. He's unflappable. So no matter what sort of self-doubt you're struggling with, listen to Jalen talk about his own confidence story, I think will lend you some of that confidence. It's like a contact high. Just being around him, you feel more confident too. So hope you guys enjoy this episode and leave feeling as confident as I did. Jalen Rose, welcome to the podcast. What up,
1: though? Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the love.
0: I'm outranked here. You are the the podcast veteran in the room.
1: (laughs) Going on nine years. Blame Bill Simmons, blame John Skipper, (laughs) because I went to both of those individuals who I love dearly, who have done so very much for me personally, professionally, and I was like, hey... I see that ESPN is going to have a subsidiary called Grantland coming soon. You know how the ESPYs parties work. You're out to champagne and campaign, but you're also out to politic a little bit if you can. So, hey, would you guys consider giving me a podcast on that new forum? They're like, all right, Jalen, whatever, whatever, whatever (laughs) type of thing. And so I wanted to make an impression with both of them. So I sent, this was like a Saturday night. And so I pitched them the idea about a podcast and I wanted to show I was serious. So on Monday morning, I emailed both of them at 9 a.m. Wow. Faithful soldier and uh, set up meetings, really productive and and, uh, powerful individuals. It's hard to finally get them in a room to sit down (laughs) for a meeting. So once it happened a couple of months later, we're in the room, Bill brings another guy with him. We're talking about the podcast. They're going back and forth. They say, so who you wanna do it with? And the other guy, his name is David. I was like, i want to do it with you. <laughs> his last name is Jacoby. We've been doing a show eight years since. That's unbelievable. And a lot of people don't know beyond that. And I'll say this because, you know, I'm a happily married man and I'm retired from the scene. We actually first met each other in Atlanta, at Stroker's, huh? the adult entertainment establishment.
0: Oh, wow. That's quite a euphemism there.
1: <laughs>
0: so I feel like you've always had that sort of enterprising mentality. I mean, you were still in the league when you first started doing media stuff. Correct. Right? And is, so is that something you have always had, like going back to high school and
1: childhood? So I always felt that I had irrational confidence. You couldn't look in the mirror and tell me I didn't see Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson like. <laughs> I saw those guys when I looked in the mirror, just when I walked away from the mirror, I wasn't them anymore. And so I always felt that. And when I knew that my career was about to end, I was fortunate enough from 2000 and to 2007, while I was still playing in the league, I was able to work for initially BET Mad Sports. I pitched in my idea, worked the NBA Finals. It was Nets and Lakers. Yeah. How about that? New Jersey Nets. Wow. Jason Kidd. How about that? Um, I pitched them my idea about working the Finals. You guys don't have to do nothing. I live in LA. I got a spot. I'll get access. I have a credential. Just send a camera. <laughs> Cut it, edit, spiced it. They liked it. They played it. BET Mad Sports. You run on the Bulls at this At this time? I was on the Bulls. Yeah, yeah, okay. Got traded there in February. They had nine wins in February. Not good
0: when the season nine starts in November. wins!
1: <laughs> I'm like, uh, we're not going to the playoffs. It's not happening. So let me fall back on my mass communications work that I did at U of M.
0: Did the... Irrational confidence, which I want to dig further into, but did that carry over to media? Like, did you have the same confidence doing media that you had? Oh, on absolutely. The court?
1: Really? Uh, I, um, if you want to do this for a living, the one thing you have to, be, to do is be sure about what you say, who you are, and what your belief system. Interesting. And so while I was in the league, I got a chance to test this out because I was still a 20 plus point score. Yeah, yeah. But also working in the media. So imagine playing against guys, and/or being coached by guys that you're cr- criticizing in the media. Mm-hmm. So I had so many guys like, "Oh, how you gonna say that about me, dog? You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, you selling out. You ain't keeping it real. You know, you ain't seeing it the way you should as a player." I'm like, "Dog, you had six points, <laughs> and you had five turnovers. Well, like box well, score doesn't lie, yeah, right?" I remember sending people box scores. <laughs> That, that's how I started, like, my first four or five years. Like, I almost tried to defend myself to the people that I was having opinions about. And then I realized something. As long as people know that you're unbiased and you don't have an agenda and it's not personal, they'll be okay with it. Hmm.
0: And that's how I approach it. I want to go into the irrational confidence bit. Okay. I have a lot of questions about okay. that. Where does that come from? Like, was that just <laughs> innate? Is that something you learned? Like, what, when do you, what's your first memory of having that irrational confidence?
1: My first memory of having irrational confidence was that I learned that sometimes your critics are accurate. Hmm. So when you grow up without, I'm from the inner city of Detroit, single parent home. There was times in my life where we didn't have lights. There was times where we didn't have heat. There was times where we scrambled for our next meal. But when people are teasing you, who, by the way, their situations aren't much better and they don't realize it. It just so happened that they got some new shoes today. That's the, that's the only difference is that when people start to tease you about things that are true, you have to take it. So when people are like, oh, you're really skinny and you got patches in your pants. I wanna punch the person. I wanna argue with the person. And I wanna, as we call it, cap or Joan or debate with them about why they are wrong. It's like, I am broke. I do have patches in my pants. Like I did pee in the bed till I was like in third or fourth grade. You know, I do have bad skin. I do have bad teeth. Like, hmm, huh. So I'm like, all right, I got some for y'all, all right. Yeah, I got patches in my pants, but you got two teeth in your mouth. <laughs> you know, like that type. I, I need to defend myself. Yeah, you, when the last time you looked at your report card, like you ain't been. When the last time you been to school, like like that type of thing. So you realize that even though I'm not the best or even though I'm not perfect, I'm not gonna allow people to destroy my self esteem. I need to defend huh.
0: myself. I, that's Really interesting, the idea of confidence almost as like radical self-acceptance. Yes. Okay, but so growing up, you probably, I mean, you were, I imagine, the best basketball player on the court all the way up until, and even probably still in a lot of games at Michigan.
1: So you ready for this? When we played organized, where everybody had to be eligible, then one of the, if not the best. But in the backyard, the park, the YMCA, in the street, I wasn't the best. Okay. What do
0: you do, though? Like, how do you maintain the irrational confidence? The thing I'm getting at here is, like, I feel like I've talked to a lot of elite players, and they all say, if you don't think you're the best player on the court, then what are you doing? Yes. But, like, they have to know, going back to the box score, objectively, they're not the best. Like, does Deion Waiters really think he's the best player in the NBA? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. But how? So how walk me through that. Well, thing, that I me.
1: I play, in the 13 years I was in the league, Hakeem Olajuwon won the first two championships. Well, That was like the mid-90s. Jordan came back, won three championships. Tim Duncan ended up winning five. Shaq and Kobe won a few. These are all of the top players when I was in the league. They won all of the championships, basically. And so how am I going to sit in a locker room with a uniform on and some shoes laced up chasing my dream and don't feel like I'm about to go out here and score 30 on MJ? Like, I might as well not suit up or not play the game. And the rest of the world may feel like, yeah, you stink. You're no Scottie Pippen. But I'm like, tonight's going to be my night. (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know Shaq is the most dominant big in his era. But what about this pick and roll up top, though? And that is really what carries you. It's Hmm. the world may not believe in me, and clearly I'm not an all-time great, but in order for me to accomplish what I accomplished, uh, when I was in middle school, I was considered one of the best in the country. Hmm. When I was in high school, I was a McDonald's All-American. My school won a national championship, Detroit Southwestern, two state championships, three city championships, two PSL being a part of the Fab Five at the University of Michigan, going to the league. So I got a chance to compete and play against the best on the highest level each time I was able to compete. So that also gives you some confidence with your work ethic. When did you realize trash talk could be a weapon on the court? Oh, from the beginning. Okay. I have two older brothers and an older sister. I grew up on the... Northwest side of Detroit, initially when I was young, and I like to say these streets because there might be one person that's from Detroit and be like, oh, okay, I know about Green Line and Six Mile, I know about 12th and Gladstone, I know about Puritan and Apple Line. So, when you're a youngster, first off, you got the older kids got to let you play. Yeah. So, my role, it depends on what time of day it was when the older, more established, famous, as I call them players, Anderson Hunt. At UNLV, Doug Smith at Missouri, Derek Coleman at Syracuse, Michigan State, Steve Smith, Mark Macon, Temple. Like, when all of those guys came, I was a ball boy. Mm-hmm. And for the people in the stands, I was a hustler. I used to go to the store, too. i go get cigarettes, i go get beer, go, whatever. Start up cars, um, knock snow off cars during the winter. Like, I was doing all of that yeah, as yeah. the young fella in the gym Uh huh. until I got a chance to play. Huh. So once I got a chance to play, then I got to try to... You know, <laughs> do my best so they'll let me play again. That's really what it was all about.
0: And you started talking trash at a young age. The what? entire time. Can you tell when you got in someone's head? And of what course. does it look like when you shattered their confidence?
1: As a sports fan, here's a distinction there's a difference between uh-huh. prize fighting and boxing. Prize fighting, yeah, you're going to get paid to go into the ring. But at some point, if you lose your discipline, You're not doing the sweet science. Actual boxing is I'm going to keep my discipline. If I'm here to jab, if I'm here to throw body blows, if I'm here to protect myself against whatever big shot he might throw, then I'll be able to pace myself. So it was the exact same thing. There Hmm. were certain people that you knew you probably shouldn't talk trash to because they might pop the trunk on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm kind of good. So it's like, you talking trash to me and you trying to clown me, oh, I got something for you. So I've gotten to, like, I've had people punch me mm. or, like, what we call fire on me? Like, I'm just standing there, hey, ha, 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 and one, and boom, get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's happened to me before. But, like, trash talking really came from a work ethic and a confidence mm. and a belief And somebody whose biological father was the number one pick in the nineteen sixty-seven NBA draft, Jimmy Walker, that I never met before. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to the league one day. Y'all just missing it. I mean I I have everything an NBA player has right now. I'm just not getting paid. Y'all don't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all don't believe? Like I'm going to the league. I used to write my autographs as Dr. J when I was young. Like, I'm going to the league.
0: Were you just practicing autographs, or were you autographing something for someone else? I was
1: practicing. <laughs> I was practicing. <laughs> I had my father's basketball card. It's to keep it with me, put it in my pocket. Like, yo, I got next. I yeah, Pull out yeah, the yeah. card. Like, that meant something? they like, no, you ain't got next. You four games down. <laughs> but, again, that gives you a level of, when I get on, I got to make something of myself.
0: Yeah. And you've never, you've never shied away from saying what you think? Never. I'm curious... If you think it would be more or less stressful in the league these days with sort of having to be on 24-7. More stressful. Yeah.
1: More stressful because today's player respectfully has figured it out. Almost like Floyd Mayweather did in boxing. It's, I'm going to take top dollar home without taking as much punishment as guys before me. Mm Mm-hmm. And own my own brand, yeah. make all of the money that's due to me, and still lead the game with my faculties. That's what basketball players are now able to do. Yeah. There's one breath that feels we're going to bring analytics to the game and maneuver the pieces on the chessboard to our benefit. And then players are like, wait a minute. Are you judging me only on stats? Oh, okay, well, I don't need to play the second game of back-to-back. I don't need to play four games in five nights. Yeah, because you're just judging me off stats. As a matter of fact, why am I practicing? I just played 37 minutes last night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now this low management thing has become something that players have now been able to use to their benefit to elongate their careers. Huh? I played with Vince Carter. He going into his 22nd year. I know, I year. just saw
0: that. First guy to play in four decades. All right.
1: We we played together in like 2004. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I've been doing this job like I said since 2008. <laughs> he's still in the league.
0: I know. <laughs> I'm a UNC fan, so right? I remember watching him in college right? and being like, "God he's, damn, he's, he's still, still in the
1: league!" And by the way, a walk right out on the floor and do a 360 after he just got finished eating a sandwich. Unbelievable. I play with them. Unbelievable. So players have now figured out if you're gonna judge me by the numbers, then. Not gonna make this risky pass. I gotta protect yeah. my assist to turnover ratio. Huh.
0: You think that's actually factoring in the I on know, the court? Really? I don't
1: think I know. Why am I gonna take this contested three? Yeah. I'm gonna take the wide open one. Yeah. And so now that players have figured out how to get top dollar and how to play longer, that's really what it's about. Hmm. And then the third thing, the last thing is, oh, you're gonna judge me by oh. Oh, I'm not as great to you if I don't win a championship. Got it. So, LeBron, I know I want MVPs in Cleveland. I need to go to Miami. Hey, KD, I know I want MVPs in OKC. I need to go to Golden State because now I'm going to eliminate people saying I never won a championship. I, I
0: mean, the thing about the NBA players now that's interesting is I feel like there are a lot more opportunities for endorsements and brand work and whatnot. But the flip of that is you have to really work to cultivate your brand, and there are so many more opportunities to get in trouble now, I feel like. Like I remember when I interviewed you in 2015, I asked you, you know, what would it be like if you had Twitter or the 24-7 news cycle back when you were I would playing? be doing
1: this job. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's just
1: like— Did I say like that a, then?
0: Yeah, I think. Something, something <laughs> along those lines where you were like, I, would be I don't— be doing yeah, this yeah, job. Exactly.
1: Yeah, They'd be like, here's video. <laughs> Of Jalen Rose at the Michigan Union walking up the 100 stairs. And then all of a sudden when he gets to stair 90 and he has on his New York giant triple fat goose that he won in a bet after the Buffalo Bills missed a field goal. He drops a 40 ounce and then it bounces and then it bounces and then it breaks. And then before you know it, it shatters all over everyone. That would be a trending topic, right? So
0: This might be a true story? Oh, that's 100% yeah, true. Exactly.
1: And so I, I I am enthusiastic, just like I'm pretty sure many people my age, if not older, that we didn't grow up in the era, era of social media because these young people have to be more disciplined, have to be more responsible, have to be more conscious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it can be tougher from that perspective, no doubt about it.
0: So you went straight from playing ball into media. Higher, straight out the door. Still working your ass off. Yep. How scared would you say you are of
1: retirement? So the first thing that you realize, I'm not about to be making what I made in the league probably ever again. Mm. Like that's a scary proposition because usually as an athlete, sometimes you have your most notoriety, success, and able to – make the most money, the younger you are. In most professions, it happens in reverse. Yeah. As you gain experience and as you get a little bit older. And so as an athlete, I was 34 when it was time for me to hang them up. And so I was ready for the transition, but I wasn't ready to give up them checks. Mm -hmm. You never, you never, you're not only giving up something that you love that you would do for free, but you also getting paid to do it, so I think that was the biggest change or adjustment to realize that that check that you saw from the NBA that had David Stern's name on it, you probably won't be getting those anymore.
0: Huh? How does that shake your confidence at all? Does it? Like, oh like, uh,
1: no, I was like, I gotta get, I got I gotta do more.
0: Yeah, but I mean, ima- imagine a lot of guys that transition is yeah. difficult because they probably for obvious reasons, tie a lot of their self-worth to basketball. I never did it, that. Yeah.
1: I, because I probably shouldn't say this, but it would probably encourage somebody else. In my head, I never lived up to my personal expectations, so what other people thought never mattered to me. Huh. I always, to me, you got to be Magic Johnson. Yeah. He was from Michigan like I was. He was a tall point guard. When I looked in the mirror, if I didn't see Magic Johnson, it didn't matter what everybody else said. Hmm. To me, I didn't make my goals happen. Wow. So that kept me humble. Like, dude, you all right. You ain't no Magic. (laughs) You all right, but you ain't Magic. I would say that to myself 15 times a day. Damn. Even when I get confused, like when fans that come up and ask for a picture or ask for an autograph or an interview or whatever. Like, you ain't Magic. Wow. I used to always tell that to myself. Damn. How hard is that to to live with? Well, he's only one of the five greatest players <laughs> ever. Yeah, it's true. You know? So, yeah. so, like, I, again, as we go back to the irrational confidence thing, is if you set a goal mm-hmm. and you work towards that goal and you own it, but you fall short, the person you disappoint is yourself. So I never felt pressure from... The public. Hmm. Never.
0: But you don't strike me as a guy who feels very disappointed. No, like, I
1: wasn't disappointed at all. Yeah. Because you can Google it. They pay me a lot of money to play basketball. <laughs> I, I, I remember, like, wait a minute. So I get a max deal? You mean maximum is, is max short for maximum? So that's the most you can pay me and you're going to give it to me? Oh, You fax it over at 1201, we got a deal. (laughs) I ain't going to talk to no other teams. I ain't taking no other visits. I put myself in a mental hyperbaric chamber. I'll be there at 9 a.m. to sign it. You ain't even got to look at me. You ain't got to talk to me. You ain't got to be there. You let the paper be there. So for me, I was able to achieve, of course, uh, I would love to say, hey, I'm Bill Russell. I got 11 championships in 13 years or, you know, You know, I'm going as a first Ballet Hall of Famer, but that's only reserved for 50 people ever. Yeah. And then there's everybody else.
0: Huh. How does your confidence now compare to your confidence at, say?
1: My confidence is higher than ever. How old were you in the league, 21, 20? When I first got to the league, I left after my junior year, I was 21.
0: You're 46
1: now? 46 now, yes, sir.
0: And so when you look back at a twenty-one-year-old and he 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 felt confident, what sort of what have you learned about confidence that you would
1: maybe tell that? What guy? did I learn? Oh boy, oh boy. Hmm. I learned that whatever you're doing after midnight, you can do before. <laughs> right? You can do prior. He sounded like my mom. I gotta, right? I gotta I gotta give right? you a little shit like, for that. W- like wait a minute. So I want to go to the club because I like loud music and I want to have drinks and meet people, hmm, you could probably do that early in the day. <laughs> right? yep. that, that's why they create things like happy hour and day parties and stuff like that. Um,
0: My mom always says that every hour of sleep you get before midnight counts for two times as much as facts. every hour you get after midnight. That's facts yeah, that's on science. facts. that's science. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's facts on facts.
0: I got two more questions for okay. you. The first one is you've basically been famous since you were – 18, pretty much. Crazy. Maybe 17, probably. I mean, definitely 17 if you, especially Michigan. I was a McDonald's All-American. Yeah, I'll yeah, sign
1: yeah. autographs. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: A lot of people get swept up that early in fame, don't end up nearly as well adjusted yeah, as you yeah, are, right? Usually childhood
1: so, stars normally end up, in a lot of cases, not all. Some of them usually end up unhappy with their lives.
0: And so what's been the key for you to, to end up in what seems like a very I happy had great life.
1: guidance, yeah. great support from my family, from my friends, from my coworkers, from people that taught me this business, from people that I idolized and looked up to and respect. But also, I have like a, a supreme drive to be great mm-hmm. at what I do. And while the world is able to say, nah, 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 you wasn't Magic Johnson as a player, in my head, oh, I'm going to be that as a philanthropist. Yeah, I'm going to be that as a as a multimedia personality. And so that gives me the drive, the motivation, the confidence to uh, make the necessary sacrifices needed in order to try to make it happen. Hmm,
0: I like that. Last question we ask on this podcast is for a favorite fuck-up.
1: On or off the court? Off the court? Whichever one's better. On the court, I should have won a championship in college. We should have won our sophomore year. Um, Off the court?
0: Was that Duke or you? That was Duke. UNC. That was UNC.
1: Duke was better than us, my first yeah, 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 yeah. year. They were that all time nasty. great. They had Christian Laettner, Grant Hill, and Bobby Hurley. They were great. That's probably the best Duke team of all time, and i saying a lot. Um, in media, I'm trying to think about the times I got suspended.
0: Well, I'm so dead. would you say? Would you say that the the UNC game
1: was? Would you class? I mean, that would be the encore on court fuck up. encore yes, definitely, definitely, because. A lot of people look back at that game and they look back to our C-Web timeout at the end of the game. And, yeah, that was a blunder that you don't want an All-American to make. But when you're in a locker room as a teammate, everybody feels like, what could I have done better? Yeah. And for me, I felt like I had my worst game ever. Huh. That's the, I'll never forget sitting in a locker room like, have I ever played this bad? I said that to myself. And that's why I came back for my junior year. That, I just answered your question. Shouldn't have came back for my junior year. Huh. Okay. I should have went to the league. Yeah. We should have won, and I should have went to the league. How often do you think about that game? Not as often as people try to troll me. (laughs) I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was 25 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think about it often. Huh. I thought maybe you'd go
0: with the draft day suit.
1: No, no, never. I mean, it's no! GQ. I had to bring it up. I had to bring it up. No, 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 no.
0: How confident were you in that suit Here when you, you wore it? Go, Scale one to 10, how confident A were you in hundred. that suit? 100. How about
1: this? So, hold on. Okay. Uh, yeah.
0: If you're listening and you don't know what we're referring to, Google, yes, Google Jalen Rose. Rose
1: draft suit. I'm from Detroit. Put, put your
0: sunglasses on. Avert you your heard eyes. Biggie
1: say, Pink is my Detroit players. We don't get dressed, okay? We wear outfits. Red and white suit. And just so everybody know, I had two suits. It wasn't like these guys now that have budgets. I had cubic zyconians. I had fake diamonds. As a matter of fact, the night before the draft, I had a bump underneath my eye. And that's all I cared about was doctoring that bump with alcohol and cocoa butter the entire night. Wow. The second suit that I had was lime green <laughs> with green gators. I had two suits. And that morning, I was going to decide which one I was going to wear. And here's what swayed the choice. The Clippers were drafting seventh. Their colors are red and white. The Sonics were in Seattle. They were drafting 11th. So I was hearing that I was probably going to one of those teams, especially when I just talked to, as I was doctoring a bump underneath my eye, the general manager at the time, Jerry Krause, who called me and was telling me that there was a chance that they were going to acquire Sean Kemp and I for Scottie Pippen. Huh. And so I was like, all right, cool. But I'm still doctoring this bunt with alcohol. <laughs> and so the next morning, since nothing happened, I convinced myself I was going to wear the suit of the team that was drafting highest. Of course, that's what we did. Yeah, exactly. So I wore the red and white one because I felt like I was going to get drafted by the Clippers. And I wore the lime green one to my draft party. <laughs> I sure did. And you got drafted by the Nuggets. And I got drafted by the Nuggets, and it didn't match. And my outfit the next day was even worse. I went to the press conference. Detroit kid. I had this, like, beige and black, like, lumberjack. I ain't never been to Denver. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's the Rocky Mountains. I'm going to wear, like, this little <laughs> lumberjack shirt. Amazing. You know, you know, I put my jersey over the top of it at the press conference. I look back at those pictures like, you're such a country bumpkin. <laughs> But, you know, it was all worth
0: it. Yeah, you got to admire the, uh, the effort there. <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, that is a great way to end this. Uh, I got to find some pictures of that lime green suit. It was,
1: it was classic. <laughs> the draft day suit, red and white pinstripe. Either people say it was the best. Yeah. There are people that say it was the worst. But always remember, this was the mid-90s. This wasn't the achilles era like we have right now yeah. where all you see is people ankles and achilles and calf muscles when they dress. <laughs> it wasn't that okay this wasn't the my pants were so tight moment that you could see my black card it was <laughs> not that moment and so yes i did rock that suit i should have had a hat
0: you rocked it well thank you brother thank you for coming on anytime <laughs> all right i'll have you back be careful yes sir <laughs> That's a wrap on today, but I'm excited. We are back. So, we'll be back next Tuesday with another conversation on confidence. Thank you to Jalen for coming on today. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, as always, to our fearless producer, Jessamine Molly. Again, we'll be back next Tuesday. Tune in. Talk to you then.